0: My soul will remain restless until it rests in you. These words confessed by St. Augustine have echoed across the centuries and remain a common thread to reverts and converts alike. These are the testimonies of those that have come to rest in the fullness of truth. This is Catholic Recon
1: with your host, Eddie Trask. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon Testimonies from Reverts and Converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. This week's guest is John Heinen, who is the marketing director at Fuzati. If you're not familiar with Fusati, Catholic Marketing Agency. Fantastic work. Absolutely fantastic work. And also the director of the Catholic Gentleman. I'm sure many of you have heard of the Catholic Gentleman blog podcast etc also fantastic work john welcome to the program
0: maddie it's a blessing being here i really appreciate you
1: having me on it it is a joy well i appreciate what you do uh in the catholic world and it's much needed specifically well i should say what i what i said in the intro those two brands and what they do for various um for for men clearly and what they do for other Catholic apostolates in the way of design and communicating message, what when I when I was at a non-denominational church for ten years, yeah, one of the things that stood out uh again, i at at the time i would I would occasionally think back to uh Catholic roots, Catholic upbringing. But what I noticed in the Protestant world was they were so good at design they were so good at marketing they were so good at boiling down a complex message to something that was very simplistic so it's funny Catholic gentleman Fusati there are some other players out there for sure Um, but those brands when I was reverting to the faith I thought very highly of them because they communicated in such a way that was um, that I had only seen for so long in the Protestant space why do you think that is
0: yeah um <laughs> well i would say that the the church in general has been kind of swept away by one revolution after another after another after another and one of the things uh that that kind of took the church unaware was the digital space this sort of digital continent as benedict the 16th called it that We have to be there evangelizing. And it's very interesting because I get all sorts of attacks from well-meaning Catholics that are devout daily mass goers, daily rosary praying, you know, all incredible devotions and and practices that we spend too much time in the digital space and we just need to abandon the digital space. But unfortunately, and something that the Protestant church didn't miss out on was, was that opportunity... Uh, to bring Christ to that space. Now, the Protestant church has, you know, taken it because they found the opportunity to not only bring Christ, but also to make money, you know, within within that, that uh, digital space and bringing uh, really the best, uh, uh, let's say, sort of digital experience that groups had to offer and were presenting to others. And so Fusani came along just out of that Understanding, right? So there's a saying in the church is that when you find a void within the faith, fill the void, and that's what Fuzati did. So they found this void within the faith of getting really high quality Catholic messages, right? Because it was one thing to take a picture on one of those old digital cameras, you know, of your church and then to slap it on to Facebook or Instagram in its in its heyday, and And people weren't resonating with that when they were seeing Coca Cola and and Under Armour and you know Marvel movies and you name it and all of this incredible high quality content. How how can we compete? Right? There was it's like oh and then some you know. Old parish secretary with a, a building that was made in the 1980s, and that wasn't inspiring. That wasn't wanting to bring me uh, more. And so Fuzati came along to try and bring the best that the secular world had to offer in in regards to uh, creative media sure. uh, to and do it on behalf of the church. And so we do. We've got. And speaking of Fuzati, and then I'll switch to quickly to Catholic gentlemen here. Is that Fuzani has. Uh, you know, going on now six full-time designers, and uh, multiple of them are award-winning designers. One of them worked with Smuckers and Purell and the NFL and these sort of things. But they kind of all found the what was wanting in the. They experienced what was wanting in the secular space. And we're looking to do something more meaningful, more purposeful with yeah. their with their talent. And so they came here. And the Catholic gentleman, it's funny that you bring that up because that black and white memes was by intent. And I'm going to give Sam Guzman, the founder, um, credit for that, because he understood that there was so much noise in the world and and fascinating enough simplicity, but really high quality simplicity. So don't get me wrong, was what was going to be kind of the. Um, let's call it the the uh, the direct attack or the direct uh, um, ability to stop the scroll because people were just flipping through their their mobile phones or online and just seeing one thing after another. But a black and white 1920s 1930s meme with a saint quote on it was just getting people to stop, and it just it just helped grow that brand. But again, it was that design branding element that truly brought it into full focus for uh, the church and for the wisdom and timelessness and beauty of the church. So
1: no, 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 that's the key. And I think that's what we're all looking for. It's like the church is talking about the beauty in general, and then to see the lay faithful go out and communicate that beauty. Outside of the churches to communicate the beauty was, was very intriguing to me. So why don't we, why don't you tell me how how is it that you got into those spaces, or even better, to go back to yeah. childhood and work your way towards your career?
0: Right, focusing on on the the theme of the show, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so no, I, I like talking about that. I was very blessed to have some incredible Catholic parents, and so I want to start there because, um, my my parents did everything they could within their faculties to, um, make, make me a good Catholic boy. (laughs) And I, and I, uh, I didn't reject the teachings of the church, but I didn't understand any of them. And we're talking about all the way up through high school. Temperamentally, I had to be the best at every single thing I did. And I would say that that was uniquely a grace from God for me to not go off the deep end um, like some of these great Catholic evangelists are and their, you know, their backstories and things like that. I, and and I'll explain why being the best at everything I did had to be that nature. I, I My identity was found in people's praises and in people's affirmations of the work that I did. And so I can remember in confirmation class in 10th grade uh, being the only one that memorized some paragraphs of the catechism. Now, don't get me wrong. It wasn't because... I was fascinated with the catechism. I don't even think I owned a catechism, but in one class, we had to go into these small groups. And I remember reading a paragraph from the catechism and then just quickly memorizing it. It's a blessing that God has given me. And then when they went around to each small group and said, What did you learn? And I stood up and I just was able to recite this catechism verse. Everyone was like, Oh my gosh, he's a genius. And I'm like, yeah, I am. But I wasn't. I literally don't even remember what I stated. I don't even remember what section of the catechism it was in. But that sort of affirmation, that sort of praise really kept me together. So then I went to TCU, Texas Christian University, and I remember going around on the freshman uh, you know, campus tour or whatever and them saying, we're really more Texan than we are Christian. And I remember thinking that was odd. But again, I wasn't devout in my faith. I didn't understand my faith. And um, and then I start. I, I lived with a uh, Protestant uh, Reformed Calvinist, and some of your listeners might understand uh, what that Reformed Calvinism is. But it's um, you know just kind of a return to the Calvinistic roots. That there are these five pillars, I think, is what he calls them, that uh, d- basically dictate a man and and stuff like that. And he started attacking me for my faith. And honestly. I hated losing because I had to be the best at everything. (laughs) And so this was my journey into actually understanding and accepting the faith for myself. And I think all your listeners have either had that experience themselves or understand that individuals really need to have that experience because I started diving into apologetics uh, for one purpose and one purpose only, not to affirm my faith, not to fall in love with my faith, not to like actually believe, but to win arguments. And I wanted to win arguments. And I did. I remember thinking to myself, I don't care if they accept this stuff or not, as long as they look bad at the end of the conversation, and I look good. And I remember that pride and that sort of, um, and so I did, I'd start studying apologetics. And again, kind of with this sort of Past the test mentality where you just memorize everything before the debate, and yep. then you, you you're before the test, and then you forget it the next and day. it's gone. It's gone. And yeah. It's gone. Let me ask you and this real quick. Let please, me ask you this. Please. Yeah so
1: when you have this, was he a friend at the time? You said you moved. Uh,
0: you so we lived, yeah, on the dorm. And okay. so um he was a friend. We were both music majors and uh and we became friends, but uh he had all the talking points and I looked silly. Well, I'm just wondering yeah. why,
1: because there are people that I've spoken to that had those same challenges. Yeah. And then they went into a period of going to Protestant churches. So yeah. what do you think it was in you that said, okay, I already have the truth. Now I need to learn it versus I need to abandon this. Or even not that you're consciously thinking that, but yeah, yeah, what yeah. he's saying is compelling. yeah
0: um and it was what he was saying was compelling i do appreciate that i want to give him credit for that he had all the talking points he was the you know the fifth grader who who was reading scripture in class at a public school because that was what he was taught to do you know this guy and so and nothing i had ever experienced in my life so to answer your question i would like to um assume grace right <laughs> i assume i assume grace really kept me from that and i think i honestly thank god a couple times every week. And I have since um, maybe postgraduate school. So for the last um, 14, 16 years of my life, somewhere around there, I have been thanking God multiple times a week that he made me Catholic and that he, by making me Catholic, I was born into a Catholic family and a hedonist for the first couple months of my life. And then, uh, and then I was baptized. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so There's that grace for sure. That being said, I'm gonna liken it back to my temperament and the fact that I really didn't care about learning anybody else's faith. I just wanted to win. Now, if I had, and here it is, if I had dove into apologetics and not found the answers that I was seeking, I absolutely would have moved and looked elsewhere. Sure. Probably would have become an agnostic. I probably would have not looked into a Christian faith. I would have, um, likely abandoned, uh, the faith. If, if I'm just thinking about other individuals like me that have walked the same path and have done that. So for me, I was so blessed to have picked up, um, those beginning apologetic, uh, little magazine looking tracks and, um, and I remember experiencing reading questions that I had never asked or other people had never asked me and answers that were so satisfactory to my intellect at the time that I just was a little awestruck by the genius of the church and the genius of the the theologians and saints that have brought that together. And so it was because of that. It was because of that grace that guided me to those books it was because of my temperament that I had to, I had to win. I yeah. like, it didn't, I, and I, I can't stress that enough. I didn't want to convert people. The thought of bringing or being an instrument of the Holy spirit to convert people. Well, I certainly didn't understand what I just stated right there back then. That wasn't even a thought of mine, but I didn't care about that. I just didn't want to look dumb. And I wanted I wanted to win arguments. And fortunately the, the Catholic church and the apologetics uh, helped me do that.
1: Got it. Got it. So then you were saying that you were winning those debates, those arguments, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was certainly not because that was, you know, you, you just wanted affirmation you wanted to win. So what was the next, I guess, turning point after all of that?
0: Um, uh, it was my spiritual director. May he rest in peace. And by spiritual director, I didn't even know that was a thing. I had a um, la habitual sin, as I think you know. So many men of that age. I'm very comfortable talking about this uh, stuff. But yeah, I had a habit. You know, habitual sin uh, that I would uh, understood enough that you know pornography and things like that were were wrong. And so when I would fall, I would, you know, rush to not rush to confession, but I would go to confession again, this sort of like um, Pascal's wager, you know, idea of like, not, not, not because I really, really, really felt like I was going to hell or something like that. But it was kind of like this bargaining chip of like, well, if it is all real, then I better go to confession, you know, and so I was going to confession and I remember in confession This priest, uh, Father Theodore Braddauer, who is a Franciscan TOR, he is now um, quite a long deceased um, for 2008 is when he died. And so 15 years or so, just under. And he was in confession and was the most kind, but like like holy sort of kind, like a very virtuous kindness, not like... um, Like he, he didn't ignore sin. He wasn't trying to ever, he never once was like, ah, you know, things are tough these days. Don't worry about it. There was never anything like that. He was very much uh, a a father and was, but, but there was a certain uh, charity and kindness about him that I requested if during confession, if I could just learn from him, I was like, It was a weird thing. It was the Holy Spirit, absolutely the Holy Spirit kicking my butt after confession was I just said, you know, can you, can you give me books or something? Like, can you, can you talk to me outside of confession? Like there was something about him that was infectious because he was so devoted to Christ and he became my spiritual director. So this is a little past halfway through my undergrad year. So I was a junior and... Then, and this is fun because I did my master's at Yale and between my senior year and my first year of graduate studies at Yale, he got moved from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas Christian University, where I was upwards to Loretto, Pennsylvania, about three hour drive from, uh, I think three, four hour drive from New Haven, Connecticut, where I was. And so a couple of times a year, I would just, I would talk to him on the phone a lot uh, As spiritual direction for my time at Yale until he passed away, but I like to say he taught me how to love, and and I mean like a true, authentic Christ-like selflessness, self-giving, willing the good of the other sort of love. And I know I just fly through these terms really quick because you, know. you know I've talked through them a lot, but very good. I, he was the first person to tell me a year into our spiritual directions that I will never convert a single soul, that only the Holy Spirit converts. And that I can be an instrument of his grace or I can be a blockage to what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in the lives of other people. And that hit me. I was a senior at TC, and that really hit me. And I was just like, man, I just I've never had that relationship with God. I've never had that relationship with Christ. I've never had anything but intellectual book knowledge. And so that was the next and then I got to be on his deathbed um there with him as he died he died of brain cancer he was 86 years old and he refused to let them do surgery on himself because he wouldn't put that burden on the Franciscan order um he just was very very big on not going above and beyond he's 86 years old he said I can't put this financial burden on on the TORs that have a you know a, uh, vow of poverty and I'm 86, and he's like, "Well, will you know tens of thousands of dollars in surgery do for me? Give me another nine months or a year?" And he was so holy. And I just remember being there on his deathbed, and um, it was just an incredible death. He he died just hours after I left, and that yeah, was some. It was a moment that I'll never forget in my life as well. It was just what what does a holy death look like? What does a happy death look like? And my goodness, that, that was, was a it? man who had, wow. yeah, he had nothing left to give to the world, but himself and a holy and happy death because he he just owned next to nothing. And it was, it was, it was powerful. So,
1: yeah. Wow. So you mark that as, so once you learn of his death, is that, would you say when the intellect finally came down here officially? I mean, you were already yeah. probably exploring that and understanding. I've never thought of things this way. But is, was that the next thing that you noticed?
0: Yeah, and that's a great question. God really had to chisel away a lot of my my hardness of heart. And so it wasn't that quick. There was definitely a, a yearning from the heart of, I want that. But there was still this sort of like masculine protection that I had placed upon myself is pick yourself up by the bootstraps, do it yourself, sort of attitude that I'm still actually getting, getting, letting go of. Right. Um, And so, but yeah, I, it was years later is the first time I would like cry while during the Eucharist um, and I have cried uh, during the Eucharist, but that was many years later. So that relationship was still being built. I would actually say for me, and I'm going to fast forward here. And, and I would say that the relationship really had hit me through meeting my wife. And when I met her, and that might seem odd, but we are relational beings, right? The Holy Trinity is three persons in one being. He's a, you know, interchange of love constantly. My first time meeting my wife, she taught me about St. Louis de Montfort's true devotion to Mary. And for me, Marian devotion was always a feminine practice. There was there was the women that were taken care of the Marian statues. It was the women that were, uh, that my mom had the statue at her house. You know, it was a very, flowers, you know, next to Mary and stuff it was very feminine. And then I started reading St. Louis de Montfort, True Devotion to Mary to actually win the favor of this woman that I was falling in love with. And so I, she was consecrated for many years prior to meeting me. And... I, this, this is it. I mean, I want to give credit to our blessed mother because I read that book and it was, was mind blowing. And I, I disagreed with so much of it because of my skepticism, because of my misunderstandings. And by that, I mean, you know, like our lady devotion to our lady is the true path to to salvation. Like St. Louis de Montfort says that I'm like, well, no, Christ is the path to salvation. I've been reading these apologetics and stuff like that. Marian dogma and Marian teachings has never been something that I was attacked for, had to like really dive into and learn about. And so, so I went through those, but I know how wrong I was. I guess I had the humility or was growing in humility, thanks to my spiritual director to understand how little I knew about so much, how much I thought I knew and how strong I thought I was, was constantly being broken away throughout college and throughout my learning of the faith. And so I decided to go through with the 33-day consecration. I started on November 5th and went through to December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate um, Conception. And I remember experiencing a profound transformation during those 33 days. I had never committed to a sort of spiritual practice like that. And when i got consecrated to our lady um it was it was powerful and so much of the church's teaching started making sense and so much of my heart that unification like you were saying of of your heart and your mind really fast tracked went went forward and I started praying every single day, um, I'm totally thine and all that I have belongs to you oh my sweet Jesus through Mary, your Holy Mother. You know, every morning, multiple times, I started asking God for his will. I finally started saying, I don't care what you do with me, just, just use me. And that was that relational aspect that came along with, that true devotion to mary and and one final silly story is as a professional trumpet player that's what i was getting my degrees in was was trumpet playing and i played in the olympics in 2008 trumpet obviously not not you know track or anything like that um i played trumpet over there i was you know touring the world and playing for different things um and i always believed when i would read those things in apologetics that like you know giving yourself over to god dying to yourself all these sort of things like maybe later Definitely not now because I don't want God to like – I had these images that God was going to like crush my fingers and I couldn't play the trumpet anymore. And he was going to take that away from me. And this sort of like misunderstanding of God, I would say that, yeah, through True Devotion to Mary years later, uh, so now I'm 24, 25, was when I finally started experiencing um, emotionally that sort of – or from the heart, as you stated, uh, connection, so –
1: Great, great answer. Um, How do you reconcile that? You mentioned that you still have those moments where you're saying, I'll just figure it out. I'll just do it on my own. How is that interacting with surrendering at the same time? Yeah, yes. What a great question.
0: Um, It is an everyday battle, right? Uh, I would say that uh, till this day, it is an everyday battle. And God knows that this is something that I struggle with and will continue to struggle with. And so I do trust in him though, but I will say that my spiritual devotions and my spiritual practices have really helped That my understanding that fasting is not so much for reparation for my sins or the sins of others or, um, you know, to for this intent or that intent, which are all beautiful and they're all necessary parts of fasting. I'm 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 not neglecting that, but for fasting, as St. John Climacus stated, is for purity of prayer. That fasting, rightly understood, as the Eastern Desert Fathers understood it, is like the only way to like really have a loving communication with Christ. And this is just one example because everything has to be black and white for me, and I realize that when I am when I'm going through from, from my, my temperament. So I have read two books at least a dozen times each. And one of them is uniformity with God's will by St. Alphonsus and hearing the story about St. Alphonsus, right? So he had rheumatoid arthritis. His neck was, was so pushed down to his chest that his beard hairs would grow and would actually grow into his skin, you know, and he couldn't uh, sip of the cup until he had to stop saying mass until his brothers made him a golden straw that he could sip from so that he could go back and say mass. And he had so many burdens and so much suffering in his life. But when you read Uniformly with God's Will, and you also learn that St. Alphonsus had men read that book that he wrote to him near the end of his life, you know, when he couldn't see anymore, they were reading that book to him just to keep that reminder. It's kind of like me, right? <laughs> Is that I need that con- that constant reminder of, of just detachment, of confident abandonment to the holy will of God. And that confident abandonment, that second book... Um, is uh, Father Jacques Philippe's searching for and maintaining peace? Uh, I've read that book probably a dozen times, and every single time I read it, I'm just like, yes, why have I done this to myself for the last six months again? you know And it's just it's that constant reminder. I really believe that humans need to saturate in the brine of great thinkers and great spiritual directors and formators but it, it but we have to saturate ourselves in it. It's not like something that can just be dusted on before being dropped into the oven right it, it is something that like we really need to marinate in 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 the thoughts of these things and for me that's that's really what's been helping me and so uh yeah that that's uh that constantly helps me remove my thought kids do that as well, right <laughs> my wife does it as well. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a day goes by where I'm not aware of my, um, attachment to certain vices and things like that, because my kids help experience that. Uh, somebody told me recently, and I actually put it into practice that when your child walks up to you and you're on the phone and they are trying to wait to ask you a question to stop and look at them and say, the next time you see me on my phone and you're trying to ask me a question. The first question I would like you to ask me is, daddy, do you love me? You know, and like really building up that really. And so I did that with my, my, my daughter who's um, eight years old, told her that. And she's like, okay, but, you know, but it was for me, was like, I was, you know, looking at my phone and making her wait so that I could like, I don't know, respond to a YouTube comment or something like that, that like is really meaningless in, in a certain degree, because. You know, these individuals, while human, they're not not—they're not looking to be transformed in the comment sections of YouTubes. But my daughter here, who needs yeah. my attention and needs my fatherly love, needs my fatherly gaze, is sitting there waiting five minutes for me to finish something up. And, uh, you know, so the, those little practices, those little reminders on a daily basis are what keeps me... From falling back into intellectualism only, I had a great speaker on my podcast last week, uh, Dr. Roland Miliare, and he talked about Benedict the 16th. That was one of the Benedict 16th's greatest contributions is this idea that theology has to return back to the knees. And I would agree. Like if I'm not um, kneeling down regularly and humbling myself regularly, it's going to be very easy for me to fall back into kind of pride and intellectualism and all of those things. So.
1: Well said, well said. So where do we pick up with the story? So, okay. You have the consecration that, and you noticed that that was changing you. Um, obviously your wife is probably seeing changes in you as well. What yeah. was the next big step? Did when you returned to mass after all of that, did you have, and you mentioned crying during yeah. the Eucharist, right? Was that? It was, yeah, it was overwhelming. I mean,
0: I would say that there was, um in suffering, God has helped me to grow in holiness. And I'm gonna pause and, and just kind of go back and and reflect on that. Um, is that I uh contracted the first time I went to China, I contracted a brain virus that put me in, this is just about a year before meeting my wife, and it put me into a coma. I contracted an encephalitis and it put me into a coma, and it I was in the hospital for two weeks and was actually in my one studio bedroom sorry, one-bedroom studio apartment by myself, living by myself in a coma on a couch. And the security guard at the Catholic Community Center at Yale came and got the landlord to open the door and carried me out of my um, apartment and brought me to the hospital. And I remember for those two weeks being in the hospital, not able to do anything but receive people's prayers and receive people's charity. And that's, that's how I live for. And I remember that being um, not, not transformative relationally speaking with God and stuff, but kind of like really awe opening throughout that, that instance has had a residual issue for, I guess, suffering for me in my life um, ongoing. And, it's been through this these difficulties of being a celiac right because of all the stuff they had to do to me to you know save my life and um in that year uh that I you know have had to I've been hospitalized multiple times and and then the other suffering I will say that has been requiring trust from me is the loss of um, a lot of my children, right? So i um very blessed to have uh, six kids with me, but I also have seven kids already entrusted the infinite love and mercy of God. And so my wife and I have lost seven children and um, we lost twins last year and my wife had to go through labor and delivery and it was uh, traumatic. But throughout all these sufferings, I would say that I'm always learning God is breaking me down even further. And the sense that there's, there's kind of like this idea to understand God and why he would do this and to rail and fight against him. But then also this idea of trying to live in faith and trust that he's doing these things for the good of, of my soul and my wife's soul and my family's souls. And, um, and, and, he has allowed me in that process to kind of die to my ability to control everything. And so I think within this suffering, and I, the only reason I bring that in is because to talk about the Eucharist and stuff is because it's been in that suffering that he has united me to my emotions, not to deny them, but to understand that they are a part of me and how he created me. And that this certain stoicism to like push them deep down or ignore them or move forward deadens me to others in my life and to their needs, uh, the people who are with me. And so its it's been through these moments and and I don't wanna create the confusion here to, to any listeners. It wasn't like my child died and then I went to the communion mass the next day and I cried and really it was because my, my child died. No, I, I do feel like that sort of breaking down of my ability to control everything around me and having to constantly remind myself to live in confident abandonment to God's holy will, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I want, regardless of of the love or the sufferings or joys or um, difficulties in my life has really been the long road for me that has opened me up to those moments. And I don't... I. Uh, because, and Louis de Montfort talks about this. He talks about not praying for like, you know, spiritual uh, locutions and spiritual awakenings and stuff like that uh, in in your own heart. you basically like trying to test God. Um, there is that part of me, you know, that's been, I should be crying right now or something like that. Force yourself to cry, you know, or that sort of like like manufacture emotions. And as humorous as that sounds, I'm very humble and I'm very, I try and be practical and let let your listeners know that it's been it's been a long journey for me. And but I will say that uh, those moments where I've cried during the Eucharist have come on completely unexpected, unprepared, unplanned uh, for me. I'll I'll be there, and there'll be something connected with um, the priest, you know, um, and there'll be something connected with uh, uh, maybe just just the way the Mass is structured um with the beauty of of a great choir that's maybe singing polyphony you know and and things of that nature that are like touching me in a certain way but all that being said without trying to calculate all of those situations it it's a grace from god like to experience that is a grace from god and i've been i've been very thankful for those moments again though my natural tendency is like okay now i want those moments more frequently god make them happen you know <laughs> but but uh, but it has happened a few times, and again he's 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 been working on me, and I want to, you know, I'm reminding myself in this conversation right now the importance of just allowing him to do that and to build that relationship and to, uh, to just be, just be in him and and experience
1: life in him. So, yeah, no, it's very very edifying for me. Um, can you take a moment to speak more about? Catholic gentlemen, not necessarily as a brand, but what you're seeing in men, um, yeah, and maybe even tie it to what you just explained. Whether it's understanding suffering, uh, running from vice properly, not just saying I'm running from it, but what are you doing in combination with that? I know you guys get a very broad look at what's going on. So if you yeah,
0: I'm good. I appreciate that. Thank you and. I love The Catholic Gentleman. It's been my passion project for the last three and a half years of my life. It's been um, it's been a, just a great joy to help af- affect change in the lives of men. And so we don't understand these things. I'm going to actually just go straight to the heart of it. It's because men don't understand that they're sons of God. And we've maybe heard that at, in in a homily or something like that, right? We have maybe heard that stuff and then we just compartmentalize it. Oh, that that sounds too abstract or something like this. Um, but here's the thing is that until we understand that we as men are sons of God, we can never truly be a man because we have to receive our sonship from him. And by that, I mean, practically speaking, you need to talk to God about that. Men need to heal from these father wounds. Another thing that I like to say, because while I've been digging deep into this is like, okay, who is God? Like if God is the father and God is my father, who is he? Because I think men get that wrong. I know men get that wrong all the time. I just put out a survey less than a month ago uh, to help us with this membership program that we're launching. And I got, by all God's goodness and grace and holiness, uh, almost 800 survey responses from men. And they were essay style responses. And it was was incredible. And I will say that there's just this one thing that we... uh, I'm not unique, men want things black and white. They want things, they want the order, they want the, the legalism, they want these sort of things. And and there's there's a truth to that and a need for that order in, in, in the lives of men. But as you were just getting at, we, we ignore the vulnerabilities, we ignore the emotions because we somehow think, because society has put them upon us that these things are unmasculine or unmanly, but it's not the case at all. And so, to go back here to being God, being the Father, is who is God the Father? Because if God is calculating, exacting, manipulative, waiting for you to screw up, not not giving you the graces, weighing your good decisions against your bad decisions and stuff like that, that's not that's not a father that I want to be a son to, right? That's that's not desirable. But if God the Father is as as King David said in Scripture, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, well, let me think about that. If he's slow to anger and he's abounding and steadfast love, and God is love, as it says in in New Testament, and Christ by his example came to give us this love. Well, now that's a father worth being a son to, and that's a father that we need to better understand. And the more we understand and appreciate God the Father, the more we love Him, and the more that we love Him, the better men that we can be, and so. We see wounds, and I I have come to believe, as you were just suggesting because of my experience within the Catholic gentleman here, that our father wounds are so deep um, within the lives of men and women that it is in these father wounds that we must truly heal ourselves uh, to to finally become the men God has created us to be because when we are healed from those wounds, we can then finally be transformed and be instruments of of grace for the world. So those wounds are deep and, and each man is different. And each man has these misunderstandings and these um, um, preconceived notions that that we really have to work through and we have to be honest. But I love the fact that we started talking about the relationship with God because I also think that that is something that is completely lost. Mm, that was an overstatement. It is something that is is rather lost. It's it's law. Lo- it's largely lost in yeah. in our um, our church uh, today, which is this fact that at the heart of prayer is a loving union, a relationship with Christ, with God the Father, and with the Holy Holy Ghost, and that. Uh, the, The liturgy, the Holy Mass, the Ten Commandments, the Beatitudes, all of these things are designed to deepen our loving relationship with God the Father. And it was actually the Eastern desert fathers that really helped me see these things. I brought it up in fasting earlier today is that I think most men fast for the same reason that I fasted for. I fasted for at least over a decade, at least 12 years, always with an intention, always with reparation for my sins. But I honestly, in the back of my mind, after like a decade of this was like, am I done fasting for reparations for my sins? Like, is there, is there a, you know, because it's, it's all calculating. It's not about a relationship. It's all, it's all calculating. And I feel like, And I get it on, on our, on our posts all the time. Like when I post something about God's will, I get at least a dozen men saying, how do I know what God's will is? How do I know what God's will is? And it's like, yeah, I get that. I totally get that. But here's the thing is that God just wants to talk to you all the time. And, you might have a, a discernment in your life that you have to go down one path or down the other path i got to i have to move here for this job or move here for this job um my wife and i could go see marriage counseling or we could continue on on this on this pathway um you know god is everywhere and he's down all paths now if you are struggling in your marriage you need to go seek help but if you're discerning between making, if it's not a moral judgment or moral call, it's like, I could take this job or this job, or I could buy this house or this house, or I could eat this dinner or this dinner. God is down both pathways and he he can be met there, but he wants to meet us there. And then so that we don't get into the feeling that like God is universalist and God, you know, he's a God of order. He's a God, the father who lovingly there's rules and there has to be rules because without those natural and moral laws, we we will choose our way. We will start putting God into the box that is the God that we created. And oftentimes the God that we create is the God that we get. And so it's important to constantly die and to understand that in our finite minds, we'll never be able to grasp the infinite. And so, I mean, I feel like I've gone all over the place, but i no, 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 really no, getting to the no, father's wounds. So. It's actually,
1: yeah, uh, really well received. I, I really like what you're focusing on when you talk about calculating. Yeah. Um. you know, you're just, you just mentioned an infinite God. And yet here we are, we're trying to calculate how things should go or haven't I, I've done enough, right? I did the 35 prayers that someone <laughs> told me to say or whatever, but there are all these like, finite um, endeavors that as you're, we're all trying to seek the infinite God. And we're saying many of us, well, I'm willing just I, I want to do what's right. And then we go back to calculating. That's right. Right. So all the time. I, I like that you're talking about the day to day. And I know all these men. So I see it um at men's conferences and, and elsewhere. It's as people are leaving the conference or even during breaks, they have this. Um, they've let go of things, they've dropped burden. So maybe they went to reconciliation. I don't, I don't know what has happened, or maybe the words of a speaker touch them. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have the day-to-day so i think only with the day-to-day can you continue to just let go because you're talking about the wounds as well so i think that you go back to calculating and you and part of calculating is probably dwelling on things that are yeah you know that happened in the past and i think when we dwell on things as well oddly it gives us some sense of power you mentioned that as well being able to say i have the power, so somehow it leads to pride. There yeah, are a lot of this. things that need mm-hmm. to happen, and a lot of it uh, comes down to obviously not calculating, but also just dropping all the the baggage and and allowing God to pick it up.
0: And, yeah, it's so true, and yeah. and I completely agree. And those those moments of allowing the Holy Spirit in, where we can become vulnerable, the the church needs that. The church absolutely needs that. Society needs that. Uh, the our families need that. They need the father who's not afraid to ask forgiveness for his to his child uh, yeah. because he he was um angry and unjustly so. And we need the father who is asking God for humility, who is honest with the pains and is not afraid to express to others that he doesn't have all the answers. Yeah. Because in that, in that brokenness is where God can truly transform us and can truly lead us and lead others to him. And, and that's what he needs. We, he needs this receptivity, right? And that's odd because men are by nature active. We are by nature ordered and controlling. And honestly it goes back to Adam in the garden, right? Adam was created outside of the garden. The world was in chaos. He watched God bring the world into order. He God used Adam to name all the animals and the plants and help bring order to things. And so man sees that that's a part of our nature. But at the same time, we can't overemphasize that to the degree that we are inhibiting God's work yeah. within us and his love within us. And so um, it's it's a struggle. It's a balance, but it's a worthwhile adventure because without that, uh, life is so boring. It's so filled with pride, power, pleasure, right? Like all of these different things. Um, uh, vices that we pursue worldly affirmation. Like I so, um, pursued, it wasn't even money. It was just like, as long as people thought I was smart and, you know, gave me credit and you know, stuff like that, you know, but it, it is, it's, it's all about that. Um, allowing this, this brokenness and I, and, and the world needs our masculine strength and that's part of masculine strength.
1: So. Agreed, agreed. Um, John, I want to thank you for your time. Really appreciate how you communicate your thoughts. It's very edifying, and I know the listeners will find it edifying as well. Uh, Would you be so kind as to close us in a prayer?
0: Absolutely. No, I'd love to. Thank you, Eddie. So in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Ghost, we just turn to you and pray that you might come down upon us and upon everyone who is listening to this episode. We pray that you might transform our hearts, that you might help us understand the beauty of god the father the love of god the father the truths that the church has upheld throughout the centuries and the ages that we might find other men that are and women that are working for this growth in holiness that we might unite ourselves to not only helping them but also being helped by them we pray in thanksgiving for the loving union that you have provided us we pray in thanksgiving for the church I pray in thanksgiving for Eddie and for this, um, his podcast and for these ministries. I pray that you might bless each of us. And I ask all of this through the immaculate heart of Mary, our mother. And we pray hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, holy Holy Mary,
1: Mary. mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
0: Amen. Our Lady, seat of wisdom. Pray for for us. us. St. Joseph
1: pray for us amen amen In the,
0: the father and the son and the holy spirit amen amen
1: god bless you yeah god bless you thanks right. so much thanks take care
0: we hope you have enjoyed this episode of catholic recon please feel free to leave a comment and remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to find out more about Eddie trask go to www.eddietrask.com. may god bless you